You are listening to At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Each week, our team at Wakarusa Missionary Church invites you to join us for a conversation around the topics that shape our lives at home and beyond. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And welcome to At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Can I say it officially? Episode three, which, guys, every time we come on here, I just say I'm just super excited about what we are accomplishing here on the show when we get together and get to talk about important things. And again, we have back with us this week our good friend, uh, Manessa Mullet, who, as we've introduced before, is a licensed professional counselor. That's the official LPC. You got all these letters to remember. Uh, but uh, on top of uh, our guest, Manessa, which is so good to have you with us, we've got uh, Angie Brenneman, our family life pastor, and Chris Knight, our lead pastor. I have no letters after my name, Joel. Yeah, Just call okay. me Chris. <laughs> Just call me Chris. Just call me Joel. Just call her Angie. Uh, good to have all of you here with us today. Uh, so this past Sunday for our Sunday session, which uh, that episode is going to be up and available here as well um, for those of you that want to listen to it and kind of give some context for this conversation. Uh, this past Sunday, we gathered together again to have a further conversation around the topics of anxiety, depression, but really dove into some I mean, highly practical uh, pieces and got some, I think, fantastic questions uh, out of that session from, from our folks. So um, I guess the what I just would like to do is start in with, let's just ask what the questions were following this, uh, this most recent session, talking through anxiety, depression, and some practical implications. And would just love it for Manessa as you just kind of can respond to some of these, because we want to get super practical with this. I mean, this is, this is the goal uh, for, uh, for these at home, uh, this whole at home series. And really what this show is really all about is, is about equipping and just giving some uh, some helpful uh, feedback to the people that are listening. So, uh, Angie, let's just start with our first question. Yes. So we had um, submitted, submitted questions. And number one, um, one of the questions is, how do you get past believing that God is disappointed with you? That's a pretty um, loaded question. What do you think, um, Manessa? Let's start there. Yeah, so... And just kind of thinking about that um, and where that might be coming from, I think a few questions to kind of ask yourself is um, what possibly in my history, what strongholds do I have that are really tying me to um, that theme of disappointment? So is it uh, based from how, and we talked about some of this, so some of our strongholds and kind of our earthly father versus our heavenly father, and is some of that kind of coming back from um, our childhood and we're bringing it into our future um, or our present? And um, I guess that's kind of where I'd like to kind of do those follow-up questions and some things to think about. And, you know, I think one of the things that also crossed my mind when this question came about was, God, is it okay for God to be disappointed in us? So, and I use the example um, for my son. So when my son makes a mistake and my response is, 
son, I am just really disappointed in you. What does that tell him? That So that tells him um, ethically, maybe he didn't do something correct, um, that maybe he wasn't following the rules. It gives him a second to think about it. Um, but supported with grace and love kind of comes uh, the response in which we hope that God gives to us and that and that we hope to carry and pass on to our children. So I guess I would just kind of uh, respond in that way. Is it entirely bad for God to be disappointed in some of the mistakes um, that we have, but also to kind of think about where is that coming from? So are we connecting um, kind of what is happening on earth with our Heavenly Father? I don't know, Chris, if you have anything else to kind of add to that. Well, I think there's two different ways that we can look at this idea of being disappointed. Angie, I'm curious in your feedback as well. Is God disappointed with us? Well, we could ask that from one way that says, "Is God? does God wish that there was a better for me? Did God wish that I would do things in a, in a healthier, more responsible, more committed way to him? It, sure. The, the opposite of this, though, is, is God disappointed in me in such a way as we feel like, God is always disappointed in me. Mm-hmm. That's that that type of question I would I would have to ask. What is our view of God? Because it comes back to forgiveness, right? Uh, if it comes to forgiveness, God says, "I have cast your sins as far as the east is from the west." If we are forgiven, if we are doing our part to walk forward in grace, walk forward in faith, then at that particular point in time, I would say we're the ones carrying the disappointment. God is not seeing us that way. But the other one is. The first, the first slant is God disappointed. Does he wish that we would do things in a healthier or better way? It really depends on which way that question is being asked. Yeah, I agree. Right. And so I, I guess one of my first thoughts was, okay, where in the scripture does it talk about this? And one of the uh, verses that we can reference is in Romans um, chapter 8, verse 1. And it says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the living, life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So I think it's not only your concept of God. I think it's your concept of redemption that has to to live and um, to find its being in you, to live outside of that condemnation that this that Satan would like you to live in. Yeah, we talked last time, we, we've, these, these terms have come up previously about the con- concept of shame versus guilt. Mm-hmm. With this, I mean, the question almost implies kind of, a, a, it can imply a shameful posture of a continual belief that no matter what, I fall short, I'm never going to be this, and I'm and possibly am never going to get past where where I'm at. So I'm sort of in this either uh, can't can't gain anything or I'm just perpetually losing as as well in terms of a, a sense of, of belonging to Christ, of having my identity rooted in him um, and those sort of things. So it it is it is a theological problem at the very most practical, you know, at the most practical way to say, um, who are you in Christ? Like like ultimately if Christ has accomplished what he has said he has accomplished and we're living into that, then there is no condemnation, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and Manessa, this is where, you know, where it comes to the counseling piece, just this is where a foundational good biblical wisdom I think can offer people mentally, mm-hmm. can offer them some real freedom. 
Yeah, it sure can. Um, I think just kind of looking back at kind of that that flow that we talked about on Sunday was what's your depth of faith? What is that faith and what is that foundation that you have? Um, and sometimes that's the first thing to look at. And we did some of that on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we were able to kind of address that and look into that. Vanessa, when I read this question again, it says, how do you get past believing and I think that's the idea. You talked about this a little bit, and even throughout the week when we interacted with each other, and I believe even on Sunday, that's stinking thinking in a lot of ways, isn't it? Because because yeah. at this point, it's 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 saying, how do I get past believing mm-hmm. that this is? Well, you got to shift your thinking to how God is seeing you and how God is viewing you, because that's a that's a thinking problem. Yes, and um, that comes a lot into the Jennifer Rothschild um, workbook that we looked at me myself and lies so what lies are you telling yourself and how do you replace them totally agree with you i think we kind of sat on that a little bit on sunday and i hoped people kind of saw that even our lies start back with our childhood view of god Mm -hmm. and if we don't take our um, faith and make it real in our lives and, and develop that and and see that God is more than just this father figure who wants us to obey the rules and lives up in heaven and we live here on earth, but mm-hmm. he actually lives inside us. And really, yeah. I, I, I believe wholeheartedly and I spend a lot of time with women on Thursdays because I believe you're going to find at one place your identity in Christ and that is in God's word. And I think we have to set and soak in what the scriptures say about us, because then when the scriptures penetrate our minds, it changes us. And mm. I, you referenced it in your um, notes on strongholds, the Second Corinthians passage, that when we begin to um, see and understand this knowledge of God, knowledge of God is now knowing who he is, what the Bible says he is, and what he does for us, and who he is to us, and who we are to him. And when we know that knowledge, it casts down, it it sets itself up against um, all arguments and every pretension. I love what it says. I'm going to read it straight from um, 2 Corinthians. We are human. Oh, really? I like this version. We are human. <laughs> But we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. There's a lot packed in that oh, scripture yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we've, we've almost, we've touched on this a little bit too. There, There is this amazing thing that we do just in the area of um, of Christian self-deception. Uh, a book that came out years ago that I've, I've always, uh, I've kind of gone back to again and again. I'm going to forget the author at the moment. We can put it in the show notes, but uh, it's this, uh, the book is entitled, I Told Me So, and it's the, uh, the Christian life and self-deception, I think is the, is the thing. And it, what's so interesting is when we begin to believe things that are untrue, um, what, what's so interesting is that oftentimes, you know, we, we often think about in when it comes to deception or believing things that are, that are not true, there is a, a lie teller and a lie believer, right? And, and sort of two separate, separate parties. The really odd thing I think, the, and I'm just very fascinated by it is self-deception is you have the lie teller and the lie believer are the same person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and so something uh, that is a uniquely, uh, a uniquely spiritual problem in, in so many regards, but also just psychologically where 
both the the problem and the solution lie in the same you know lie in the same locus so to speak and and trying to work through that and sometimes it is a matter of we have to get kind of outside of ourselves seeking counsel seeking other resources around um and then reading the truth and praying the truth and saying it over and over again i i remember uh uh in some of my uh, counseling work, a client some time ago, they, they, I mean, they were, they were in a place of pretty significant depression, uh, some pretty significant, a lot of self-limiting beliefs about themselves that kept coming. And they went to, uh, I want they were actually, they were in school at the time or at Christian school at the time and went to one of their teachers and, you know, and basically the teacher said, here's, here's what I'm going to, what I'm going to have you do. I want you to write these scriptures down and I want you to read them to yourself every every single day and um and and just and say say the truth out loud and and read the read them out loud and it was just really interesting um and again i'm not saying this is the only you know tactic that you can use but for this particular person it was massively life-giving because it's like you just to to proclaim what is true out loud does a whole lot of uh good for us so i I think that was just uh, another kind of interesting take so, Angie, take us to, let's see, we had we had four questions here, and I want to make sure yes. we, because I thought they were a good kind of summary of, 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 I think, a big push in what people are asking kind of out of out of this time that we've been sharing together. So, share with us. Yeah, we're going to um, talk a little bit about question number two on anxiety. And we did, um, we want to reference back to our first uh, podcast. You can definitely listen to that and hear us talk a little bit about this and anxiety and parenting, but we're going to build this out a little bit. And the question is, what is an easy, simple way to handle kid anxiety? They have normal kid worries. We all have kids get up. Oh, I'm going to fail a test today. You know, the normal things. How do I, as a parent, give them the tools or what tools can I give them for daily use? Yeah, so I um, kind of put together a few things and started kind of running my mind through some of the my child's uh, daily worries and how we approach that. And so first, and um, first we kind of look at grounding. So if it's a child who's hyper or even a child that is uh, reserved but has somatic symptoms, so grounding them. Um, And I'm just going to, because I'm an art therapist, I'm going to give a few art therapy techniques. Um, So typically I will give a child who is acting out or needing some extra grounding um, uh, clay or uh, they can use model magic or something that they can really just kind of get some of that energy out. Um, So that's play therapy, sending them outside, having them participate participate in sports, some of that, that they need more of a regular basis. Um, I also let them rip up paper. So a lot of parents, when I tell them to rip up paper, parents look at me and they say, no, what? Are you sure about that? I'm like, yes, your newspaper that you have in the recycling or your magazines, give them a space. But the important thing about that is that they have to clean it up. It has to be picked up at the end. They can't just leave it a mess. And so that's kind of therapeutically um, kind of addressing some of that. I'm getting it out but I'm sorting and cleaning it up. Um, And then support and modeling. So really, if you think about how, if my child goes into the real world and they have anxiety, typical normal adult anxiety and things that may happen to them, even as in high school or as in college, how do I want them to respond? And then you compare that to how you respond typically and how they are responding may be 
similarly, um, uh, how you might respond to anxiety. And so a lot of times what I just recommend is uh, reevaluating um, how how you react and changing some of that. We also talked about in the last podcast kind of what you're surrounding yourselves with. So what kinds of intake are you um, kind of taking in on a daily basis, so whether that's the news, whether that's social media, whether it's a certain group of people, um, and so I think that that is really important to think about. And then comes that part with discussion and guidance. So uh, really talking to your child and asking them questions and talking to them about that things are not going to be perfect. God will give us burdens, but how do we want to respond to them? So helping a child self-soothe, teaching them through Bible verses how to self-soothe, how to do some of that, uh, like Joel, like you said, some of that external uh, validation. Um, As much as a child can look at themselves in a mirror and tell themselves, I am not good enough, they can also look in the mirror and tell them the truth that the Bible says. And I think that all those three steps are really important when you're, and those are some practical things that you can do on a daily basis. Well, thank you, Chris. I thought it was interesting. You used the word grounding different than it was when I was growing up. Uh, (laughs) When I was grounded, my mom didn't hand me clay to to mash in my hands or something to rip up and let me go outside. I was pretty much bound to the house. I just thought it was interesting. You're like, what I would do is ground them. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty pretty tough. Kids need to be more grounded. Nice sight term. But but I the the tactile nature of that i think which is just so interesting is is that there is a um a fancy word here there's a, a kinesthetic element mm-hmm. to what you're doing there that there is you know it, the fact of the matter is i think about this just in terms of we, you know we always we around this table we can even talk about you know the way my the way my free time as a kid looked like what my free time as a child looked like in um you know, in the, we'll just say late eighties into the <laughs> earlier mid nineties, um, you know, it was, it was still, uh, you got home, you know, during the school year, did whatever schoolwork that you had to do or whatever. And then I was outside until I couldn't be outside anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, there is a, there is just something to be said, um, even at the, you know, even at the level of brain development of, of uh, cell development, you know, most of that stuff happens when we're actually doing something physical, mm-hmm. uh, phys- physical labor, things like that. That's why I think, you know, I often think about the apostle Paul, like obviously someone who wrote a good majority of the new Testament. Here's a person who is theologically brilliant in his writing, but it's also is working a job with his hands who, who, that is doing, that is doing Work. And I think those two things are, are pretty seriously connected where as we have kids who are, if they're, you know, sitting down all day and doing what they do as a, as a student and, you know, in this, uh, and then we're having them come home, where are they, where are they, where are they really experiencing? I, Cause I know like recess is not what it used to be, mm-hmm. you know, and there isn't <laughs> there, you know, PE time and all of that, just, just physical activity is good for our kids. Yeah. And, and I just, I do wonder um, if that's just part of it. Like I'm sure there are studies you, you could tell me way better, you know, studies on, you know, depression, anxiety amongst kids and physical activity. Like that's, it just seems that there's a a clear connection there. And, and sometimes it's like 
parents, some, one of the most spiritually helpful, help, helpful things that you could do for your kid is get them outside, have, take a walk with them. Yep. Um, you know, those, those sort of things. Cause so much, uh, like I've just been kind of monitoring recently. I mean, the, the amount of sedentary activity there is versus active activity. It's like that it can feel very out of balance at times. So those are just, I just kind of, as a parent, I'm just thinking like, huh, you know, without being intentional, they're not doing much. Right, Joel. I agree with you totally. And there is a study, and I just um, listened to a podcast by Tim Elmore on this. Of course you did, Andy. (laughs) Yes. And so, but I want to challenge parents in this because the problem is, is often in our own viewpoint of this concept of where our anxiety and our, uh, from our children is coming from, but it's mainly because we're scared ourselves. Yeah. And we're the ones saying, well, we want to keep them safe. We want to keep them to the point where they're not getting hurt or they may be in a place where they're in danger. Well, we are actually living in one of the most safest societies for a child to grow up in. Even though you think that it's wacko out there and a little bit crazy. Sure. Historically speaking, historically though, speaking, yeah. Yeah. your child has less chance of any kind of uh, safety issue right. than even in the 90s and 80s when... Or 70s or whenever we uh, grew up. Guys, I mean, they used to have cars without seatbelts. I don't, yes. I don't, I, I've heard about <laughs> so, these things. Correct. <laughs> on my grandma's lap. Yeah, so, right, right. I think this just, just frames the question a little different. Sure. Is that it gives it a little back to us saying, how are we helping our kids live life? And if um, any of you guys know me, I think that you probably know that I do have issues with safety. And it was hard for me to allow my husband who um, would allow my eight, nine, 10 year old do things on the farm that I didn't think was safe. But <laughs> we had many I just, I, just, I just think now, Angie, like <laughs> Angie, Angie and I were by the roadside out by their by their farm the other day. And, uh, you know, and uh, her 14 year old son, you know, just drives by in a, in a giant tractor. And I and I yes. go, I go, I mean, that's normal farm life. But for me, <laughs> you it's know, different. Yeah. so I'm just telling you, I was challenged yeah. and I had to live in a different realm with a different thought that I think my child would land in a little bit more of anxiety and depression when um, they aren't able to really experience life to yeah. to what they see as the fullest. And I just challenge us as parents, reframe the question, yeah. look at it a little differently. How do we um, give back to our kids without, yes, we want to keep them safe, but- yeah, but keep Allow them, them to live. but keep them tired. Like, yes. <laughs> like you know, and I say that I mean half jokingly, half seriously. Like my kids are mentally and emotionally in a better place when they have they've worked at something hard. When they are are physically drained at the end of the day, sleep well at night, uh, don't have some screen in front of them. This is the other thing. Like keeping them keeping a screen away from their face, especially before they go to bed at night. Like, and I know these are practical things we're talking about, but but it's like. But this is how God made us. This is we operate in a in a in a certain way, and there's things that we can do that are good for us, and things that we can do that are are not so good. And if we want kids that are are living into the fullness of who Jesus made them to be, then like 
Yeah, there's a. We got to take the bubble. I hear you saying we got to take, take the bubble, the bubble wrap off. We got to take yes. the bubble wrap off. And it bit. doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries and sure. we don't uh, form opportunity for growth within a safe environment. But God does call us as parents to to change our roles sometimes. Sometimes we're the teacher, sometimes we're the coach, sometimes we're the mentor, sometimes we're, you know, the guide and the spiritual director and all those things. We have to be able to switch the hats for our kids so that they can really launch when they're 18 years old. One yeah. other, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Minnesota. I was just going to say one other practical thing that kind of came to mind while we were talking is that modeling is what kind of conversations are you having an earshot of your child? So if a child is prone to anxiety, if your family is prone to anxiety, if you are prone to anxiety, there are going to be many other conversations that you see a lot of the times adults having with their children. Um, I remember growing up and my mom would always talk to us about their money problems. And so I grew up anxious and worried about money at eight. I should not be worrying about money at eight. (laughs) I have the rest of my adult life to worry about that. But so, I mean, those are the type of things that I'm um, kind of referencing is what are we having? What kind of conversations are we having that should stay within the adult conversation? Yeah. Third question. And I'll just I'll just jump on this one because I'm I'm uh, I have experienced this, um, you know, with working with folks, too. Um, This is all a question about when a person begins to sort of identify, primarily identify with their depression or their anxiety. So the question was, with identity, how do you handle a person who uses their anxiety or depression as their identity? And then almost like an excuse, Um, you know, and then. Basically saying that their their depression or anxiety is why they are the way they are, and they're choosing not to get help for it. Um, what do you do with a person where it's just like, man, they're clearly someone's in my life. They and they're just like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just it's just who I am. I just I'm under this burden of anxiety and depression, and that's why I behave the way I do. And I'm sorry, but you know, it's just it, it's just who who I am. Um, when you hear that, Manessa, what, what, what comes to your mind? Um, so I think a lot of the times we uh, normalize uh, words. And so I, I hear often, because I work with a lot of teens, saying, oh, I'm just depressed. I can't go tonight. Oh, no, I'm depressed. And or I got a bad grade. I'm depressed today. And so it just becomes this like word that we throw in and it's like, the word the, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it just becomes like part of the, the conversation we have. And so I think um, just the, the way this question was submitted, there are a couple of ways to look at it. So one, just kind of prefacing um, that if somebody is identifying and in your space, in your um, kind of, in your family, uh, is it is it your responsibility to um, change that or is it that person's? And so there's one thing, a couple of different ways to kind of look at that. So one, um, anybody who's anxious or depressed, if they want to get help, they need to be that person that gets help. And so the response that we can have is to only show them what the Bible says, how to be that light, how to be that model for them, how to be that truth. Um, Sometimes if we can respond to them in a way that is, oh, no, 
well, depressed, you're depressed. Well, that's not okay. In a way that's more of kind of this compassionate, grace-filled way to respond. I think it looks a little different when we say, well, here, let me be a therapist for you. <laughs> or let me uh, let me tell you what you should do, you know? And so it just kind of depends on what that conversation, that context is. I don't know if Ange or Chris, you guys have anything? Well, I definitely think that we often put labels on ourselves. And Absolutely. we live in those labels, and I think that's actually not what God labels us. He labels us yeah. as a child of God, redeemed, and um, with with hope and a purpose. And I think we have to relabel. And so I, I just throw that one out. You know, what's what's your label? Find out. Look in the scriptures. What God's given us as a hope, and um, I think it helps us change that. You know, when I read this question, I was thinking back to the. To the scriptures, right? Second Corinthians five. It's talking about being an ambassador for Christ, and it says this in in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse sixteen. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from human point of view. How differently we know Him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When I look back at this idea, a question of identity, the issue is, is identity being used as a crutch? Well, then let's build back who are you in Christ. That would really be the, the place that we need to park. Uh, if it is because it's easy, then I think we have some discipline issues to put into play. If it's because we truly believe that we have to live in this anxious and depressed state, then perhaps we need to really, again, this is discipleship, we need to grow and mature in our faith and get back to who Christ says we are in him. We are new, crea- new, new creations. The old is gone. As, again, it goes back to the first question. As far as the east is from the west, he forgives us our sins. We need to live in this grace-filled life, walking forward, doing our best to live as mature followers of Jesus, growing but the old life is gone. The new has become. Don't let that become your identity. And and ultimately, in a in a larger community situation, we just one of the one of the things is we we ourselves from if we have someone that is coming to us saying, "Man, I'm just I feel basically held under this anxiety and this depression. It's kind of become it's who I am. I'm just this way. It's just oh, you know, um, it's just kind of my personality type. I'm just kind of geared more this way. the The deal there is is that we we as as friends should be very careful and to your point Vanessa about giving too much oxygen to that conversation mm-hmm. um and and rather and rather saying um there is cuz what you'll find out pretty quickly is when you when you start offering up like well hey what other what other course of action could we take in the situation and 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 put it back to their court you'll find out pretty quickly if the person is actually serious about bettering their, their situation. And, and by and large, the deal is, and for all of you helper, you, you chronic helper types <laughs> out there, uh, you gotta, you have to release that person to God. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's, that's the thing that Very has funny. to happen. All of us around this table have had people in our offices who, who, um, are just like, maybe they're not the person in the crisis or the, or the situation, but they're, they're just trying to help that person out of it. And it's like, does this other person want your help? Are they putting themselves in a position to receive your help? Are you trying to counsel a person who doesn't think they need counseling? Because if so, you're the one that needs counseling. You know, so it's a um, 
sometimes we ourselves watching a person struggle in this area feel feel a greater sense of burden over it than that actual person does and that's going through it. And until a person comes to a place where they recognize their need and recognize an opportunity to change, we are actually causing ourselves more anxiety about the situation yeah. than, the, than the person that's in it. So I hope that all you chronic helpers, I hope that <laughs> I hope that frees you up a little bit. It's not your fault. It's not your it's not your uh, yeah, not your solution to to come up with. So, okay, final final question, and and just because we're going around the table, Chris, why don't why don't you introduce question number four because it, it feels like a good pastoral question. I think. Thank you, Joel. I would love to. Great. I've put my faith in God. I've given him uh, the will to be in control of my life, but I don't know what's next. My new identity, how do I find it? Excellent oh, question. Oh, boy. And I'm glad you teed me up for this one. <laughs> there we uh, go. You didn't even know it. <laughs> there we go. All right, so here, here's, here's, my, uh, here's my advice. This is where we have to apply discipleship. We have to know what, is this, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, when I look at this question, I really think the question is asking, what do I do now? And this is the problem with the American church today, is that the American church says, hey, you got saved, great, come on in, sit down, uh, attend church, sing a couple songs, give some money, and go home, and then come back next week. And this is not where we are, are maturing in the faith or growing. If we, Obviously, you all know this, but if you're listening to me and you're listening on this podcast, understand how critical a right view of discipleship discipleship is. So we belong to the Relational Discipleship Network. I love it because it takes this life stage concept that before Christ I was spiritually dead, and then I become an infant spiritually, but I can't just stay an infant. I have to become a child, uh, a spiritual child. I have to move from a spiritual child to a young adult to a spiritual parent, ultimately, which is reproducing the cycle of being a disciple maker. And this is this is a question where I would say, okay, I would want to know from this person, where are you in this discipleship? wheel. Where are you? Because I think the best way to help answer this question is to identify, are you a spiritual child? Are you a spiritual young adult? Where are you? Because you're asking a next step type of question. And when we are following Jesus, we have to, to know what it looks to be a mature disciple. And, and ultimately, I mean, to your point on the, on the whole maturity wheel there, um, you know, what we are seeking to do is to be able to replicate our faith, reproduce our faith in other people. And I think if we all asked ourselves that, that hard question of, is that going on in my life? Is there somebody that I'm reproducing my, my faith in? And that, and that can sound kind of like, I don't know, like that doesn't sound too humble. Well, what does Paul say? Follow, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Like that, that's the whole, if, if I'm following Jesus well and faithfully, then then also at that point, I should be calling others to do the same thing. Hey, here, here's how, here's the life that I have, I have been given, new life that I have been given in Jesus. Come, join me. And ultimately, you know that that's the that's the big question. I've I've heard discipleship so many times defined in a very non-New Testament framework. And and I think that's where our, we have a lot of confusion around it. Yeah, very practically speaking, if the author of this question attends our church, then I want to give a very honest answer. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to join one of our equip discipleship classes because we will walk with you for 13 weeks and help you understand what this is. And it will become clear uh, because what we've done is complicated discipleship. I love it. I love that this person has put their faith in God. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That means they're not spiritually dead. 
So now, where are you in this? I want to give him, I have the will to give him control. Excellent. Let's find out where you are. Let us help you. Let us feed you and and, and grow you into the yeah, person you Discipleship's are. a team sport, y'all. Mm-hmm. It is a team sport. <laughs> and, and, you know, if, if you are subscribe to this kind of individualistic understanding of, of, of growing in Christ, man, you're God gave us each other for a purpose and a, and a reason. And, you know, I think, you know, Manessa, in your, in your work, even the whole idea of, yes, there's, there's a one-on-one component, but then there's other, there's a larger community of resources, right? Yeah. When support. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. And, and without that, um, none of us here at this table, got here because one day we just got our act together collectively and, and, and pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. Like that's not how it happened. And I'm sure we could go around and say, like, think of all the names of the people and the communities that invested in us that helped, uh, that helped us kind of see a bigger picture of Jesus and also want to call other people to, uh, to something, uh, significant. So, oh, that's so good guys. So good guys. Uh, so in our final moment here, closing thoughts, anything that you guys want to add or, uh, that we've, that we've not hit on, uh, in our time here today. Well, I kind of wanted to hit on something that the gals on Thursdays are learning because I think everybody can learn this and we're, um, walking through the book truth filled and it really is teaching each and every one of us to preach a sermon to our hearts. And when we preach a sermon to our hearts, we're preaching a sermon to our head because in the Bible, guess what? The head and the heart are connected. And that's how God moves us into discipleship and into change. And so as we answered this last question, but also in the other questions, um, the Colossians chapter 1, it says, We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's mental health right there. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. That's identity and purpose. And all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. That's, that's discipleship. So I just I wanted to finish with that verse because I think it ties these questions of how to know God, how to know that he's not disappointed in us, how to know God and our identity well, we got to know God. Yeah. Yeah. My closing thought would simply be this, Manessa, we're glad that you live in our community. We're glad that you're a friend of ours. We appreciate these two weeks that you've invested in talking about anxiety and depression and not just from a negative standpoint, but how do we overcome this? How do we work towards getting healthy? And so we just thank you for being a part of this. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Yeah. I've loved every minute of it. <laughs> we're, we're, I, I gotta say, I mean, Manessa is, uh, we definitely consider her a teammate around here for sure. And uh, we're just, we feel really, really fortunate just for the culture that we have of all of us working together to really pull in the same direction. I think of, of offering a, just a vision of a fuller life for people that, that in, in Jesus, there are just, there's healing available. There is, there's hope available. And, uh, and we just hope for those of you that are listening, um, that that's our hope for you, that, that you would know hope and that you would know healing. And, so if there's any way that we can be of help, you can always uh, swing over to walkingmc.org. Uh, our contact information is available at our website. Feel free to shoot us an email, reach out. You can even call. You can even get on the phone. Make a phone call to our church office. <laughs> we that? we still we still do that. That is a that is a thing uh, for sure. So uh, guys, until next time, we just want to say thanks for listening to At Home. We're we're grateful for each and every one of you. Um feel free to uh to share 
uh, all of this with, with other folks. And until next time, we look forward to seeing you guys. So grace and peace to each of you. Thanks. At Home, the podcast is produced by Wakarusa Missionary Church in Wakarusa, Indiana. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and share this episode. Additional resources related to each episode can be found by visiting walkiemc.org. That's W-A-K-Y-M-C.org. From there, you can click on the At Home tab for more information. Thanks for listening. <laughs>